Welcome to the Golden Mike Podcast, where personal growth simply isn't enough. I'm your host, Mark Cordone, a positive psychology coach, a do-gooder from the island of misfit toys who founded the Joy Revolution. Each week, I'll wrap with an extraordinary guest doing extraordinary things through their own revolutionary work to talk about the ups, downs, and all-arounds of life. It's my mission to provoke and empower you through increased joy and inspire you to spark your own revolution to change history for the better. Welcome to the most serious happiness podcast in this multiverse. Welcome to the Golden Mike Podcast. All right, what is up? It's your boy, Mark Cordone. Uh, Hope that everybody is doing well, feeling well, um, and this message finds you in in great health right now. Uh, it's another uh, and it's another episode of the Golden Mike podcast, and uh, I'm so stoked today because I have um, my friend, my buddy, my Canadian, my trauma transformative co- coach, Reiki master, energy reader, um, a, a, a grandma that's younger than me. Um, what else am I missing, Corey? <laughs> A hypnotherapist, Hypnoth- I think is the only thing you missed in there. <laughs> okay, amazing. And um, Corey, I've been waiting to have you on the show uh, for a long time. So thank you for finally um, uh, responding to my message. <laughs> <laughs> I've been dying to do this with you. This is going to be fun. Yeah, rock so and roll. So, um, so many freaking things to talk about from, from energy to mental health, um, relationships, all this good stuff. Um, and, and, and your life, that's the big part of the golden Mike podcast is, is really going into your life. Um, I've had the honor of knowing a few parts of your life. Um, but I really want to take a deep dive into that today. Now, for those of you who are tuning in, you can look in the show notes, you can look at all of her uh, websites. You can look at all of uh, the good freebies that she's offering right now. You can see um, her Twitter, her Facebook. Um, and I just want to sur- move past all of that and just get right into your story, if that's cool, Corey. Totally cool. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, born in Hamilton, Ontario, right? Hamilton, uh, Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like you're very fond of <laughs> Hamilton. You know what? It's interesting because I... Um, When I first moved to St. Catharines, Hamilton was like home for me, right? And so everything was like every day I would drive to Hamilton every single day, even though I lived Mm -hmm. in St. Catharines. I would go to the doctors in Hamilton. I would go to the grocery store practically in Hamilton. I would drive back there to because everything that I knew was in Hamilton. I was born and raised in Hamilton. So there's parts of me that I do love it. Uh-huh. Um, but now I would say like, if you ask me where home is, home is in St. Catharines now. How long did it take you to like actually, um, do the, uh, the transfer over to, to Hamilton and uh, not from Hamilton, but, but to, uh, St. Catharines and actually feel like it was home because it sounded uh-huh. like you were physically in St. Catharine, but yeah, like, yeah. mentally you were still in, you were still in Hamilton. Uh, totally. Hamilton. Totally. I, um, when I moved to St. Catharines, I was God, uh, 35. So, you know, 35 years of my life, everything I knew is Hamilton. And, you know, for anybody who knows anything about Hamilton or wants to know anything about Hamilton, if you study a grid, <laughs> you'll be fine in Hamilton, right? Like the streets are all like grid, like, 
And they are all like, you know, one way streets here and there. And, you know, and so if you turn the wrong way on a one way street, it takes you seven hours to get back out of it because you got to wait till you hit the (laughs) next street that's headed in the, the right direction. Right. Right on. But I was used to it. It's all I knew. And so St. Catharines is very opposite to that. St. Catharines is like, you know, it was a running joke when I first moved here and I would have people come out to visit and they would say, okay, you know, whatever, like we would go to say Harvey's or KFC or whatever. Cause I was back then I was like totally in love with KFC. It was all I could eat and breathe. And back so they now would, I'm totally into KFC. Well, Proud yeah, like, sponsors of the Golden yeah. Mike podcast. <laughs> yeah, really? And so like, yeah. I would say, you know, someone would say to me, how do we get back to your house? Do we go left or right? And I'd go, well, technically you could go either. Cause St. Catharines is one of those really fucked up cities where you literally could go left or right and you end up at the same spot somehow. And so in the first month that I moved here, I passed my house six times. (laughs) But if I just stay on the same street, I found my house. Like, it's the weirdest thing ever. That that makes no sense whatsoever as someone who has no spatial, like, I'm trying to draw this out. Like, You go left or right, you get lost, you stay in the same place, and then you're there. I mean, that sounds so much like uh, quantum coaching right yeah. there, that it's just <laughs> out of my so it's just true. out of my fucking league, right? Um you, you're totally. the oldest of four. You're the, the oldest, oldest of four. four, yeah. So I was seven years old before my brother uh, was born, and then it was my brother. Like my parents had the perfect family, right? Like girl boy, girl boy. Oh wow. Yeah. And so after me was seven years in between me and my brother, John. And then it was like, I think every 16 months is like my sister, Jessica, and then my brother. <laughs> so like, I was like way off in left field over here. And then all of a sudden there was like this mini planned family. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but you were like this mini planned family. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I assume that it gets cold up there. So I like, you know, my, my guess is that like <laughs> when you got nothing else to do, yeah. You or know, see, the way I like know. to look at it, being, you know, positive psychology and all that stuff, is like uh-huh. I was just such a beautiful child, right? Like I was an amazing <laughs> human being that my parents went, we want more of these. And they tried to, you know, do it three more times and clone it three more times. And it just, you know, I don't know whether it worked <laughs> or not. I can't say that. But <laughs> now, 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 were your brother, uh, are, are your brothers and, and sister? It's brother and two sisters, right? Um, the other way, it's two brothers and oh, one it's, sister. It's two brothers yeah. and one sister. Now, are they, are they like clones of you? Are are they are 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 they um. Are, are they younger versions of Corey? Or, so yes or is it and no, like, like we yeah. all have the same quirky, uh, sarcastic attitude, right? Like we're all, we all have that same sense of humor. We all have like, if we're all in a group together, the four of us, mm-hmm. all you're doing is laughing. Like be prepared to come and laugh for whatever amount of time you are with us because nice. we all have that same witty, quick smart ass sense of humor and we all play off of each other. So like I might say something and, you know, be in a serious moment and like my brother will pick it up and he'll run with it. And my sister will pick up that. And like, and so it just becomes this big, huge, like laugh fest for hours at a time. And that's what it sounds like your household was like growing up, like not a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, it's about 50, 50, but like, uh, um, some people will come on and talk about some, some parts of their broken childhood and stuff like that. It sounds very, 
ostensibly like all American Canadians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like my parents were young when they had me, right? So like my mom mm-hmm. was 17 and my mom grew up in like, a, you know, a traditional type Italian home. And my dad is Irish and British. So I've got like the best of all of the nasty personalities all mixed yeah. into one human body over here. <laughs> but like, because the British and the Irish and the Italian and my mom's dad is German, they're all very close knit family people. So growing yeah. up, like we had everybody like cousins and aunts and uncles and like family friends. Like I have an uncle of mine who is my uncle because he was my parents' best friend from the time yeah. they were like 10. Right. And yeah. so like they would just stop in at all, you know, random times of the day. And, you know, it actually, it's not really random. It was generally around dinner time, but like, you know, like <laughs> Nice. They had it, I, they planned out. So even if my mom planned like a dinner an hour earlier, an hour later, like somehow they had this nose for like when we were having dinner. But, you know, like my house seemed to be the house that like all of, you know, our friends ended up at. And, you know, my brothers and sisters, the same thing. Like our house was the house to be at for my family and for for our friends, for sure. I, I think that's very Filipino too. Um, you know, like uh, we, we call it our barcada or uh, we don't make a distinction between your, your blood uncles and the uncles that you just called uncles, right? right. Who, are, who are, are probably just people in proximity that, that become family. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that about, about growing up is that, you know, my, uh, my cousin who wasn't really my cousin would come back from college, wouldn't even ring the doorbell. Yeah. Come right yeah. into the fridge and eat our cold pizza be- before going to his actual house. Right. <laughs> when he came back. <laughs> it was very much like a sitcom. Um, now also at the same time, I, I'm, I don't want to fast forward this way too much, but like Mm -hmm. trauma, transformation, Mm -hmm. energy reader. (laughs) I mean, that's, you know, uh, you know, in, in many ways, when you're talking about that, I'm not making the connection there. And and maybe it was later on in life. Right. But like, I didn't make that connection really mm -hmm. until I was probably about 36, I would say. So like now looking back, Right. Like I can see a series of events and a series of people and places and things, you know, um, I kind of sound like I did like the, you know, whatever it is, the <laughs> lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Oh, my. Um, but like now I can look back and I can go, oh, like now the light bulb is on as to like why I went through certain things and why I was connected to certain people and why I. But in the moment, like going through it from like zero to 35, I had no idea what was happening in life, right? Like I was just like carried on from one thing to the next to the next. And the only, I would say, real thing for me that was a like a traditional, um, I guess, constant was that mm-hmm. nagging feeling that there's got to be more out there than this. Like, this can't be it. If I die tomorrow, this is shit. Like, what is happening right now? And so that Even was probably the barbecues the and the holidays and the Christmases and the the Germans and the British and and, yeah. and basically the the whole UN as your family. Yeah. Even <laughs> even that early, you were you were feeling that? Yeah. Yeah, I would like 
I, mm. the one thing that I can say that I, um, I really, really love about my upbringing is that mm. family value, right? Like we were so strong in that family value. And, you know, like you said, it wasn't about who's my blood family, who's my, yeah. you know, my actual cousin versus like my cousin, cousin. Right. And so yeah. it was that closeness. It was that acceptance of like all people for all things and not, I mean, my parents didn't have, they themselves didn't have a great upbringing. And so what mm-hmm. they did is they kind of you know, what did they not like about theirs, which I think is, you know, traditional parenting, right? Like, what do I like sure. and what do I not? <clears throat> and so my parents really carried that through into, you know, how they raised us. And that family environment was like, that was the key. That was the one value that they made sure we had. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there were, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins that were going through, they didn't have the life that we had, right? They had, you know, sexual traumas and neglect issues and abuse issues. And, you know, they were, you know, starvation stuff. And we didn't have that in our home. So although I seen it, I didn't, I wasn't exposed to it from like, it's in my home, and it's right here. And it's right now, right? I didn't, we didn't have Mm. any of that. And so I still always had that feeling of like, what is happening? Like, why is this what it is? And there's got to be more out there than just this, even though what I experienced in my own physical home was still, you know, great. um, I always had that feeling of there's got to be more, there's got to be something else. Now, now this, this could have been something that that happened later in your life, but I've, I've often heard of between the ages of being born Mm -hmm. to around seven mm-hmm. um uh, especially a lot of energy workers and 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 folks helping with trauma um there there will often be like the first like uh wound mm-hmm. that a child experiences in, in in retrospect was the wound actually you looking around and seeing that like there's a lot of people around me suffering or was th- or was the wound something that you felt on yourself um that i'm not really sure like and you don't even have to agree with that stuff you know because like i i totally so a big part of what i do as a coach mm-hmm. is like that finding that limiting belief that you know mm-hmm. or multiple limiting beliefs that are stopping you from moving forward in life but they are created from you know 0 to 8 essentially right we're like little okay. human sponges and so we just take it all in I was a solo child between 0 and 7 so i don't really remember i mean Mm-hmm. I was like the light of all the humans worlds around me, you know, like I have, mm-hmm. you, like I said, uncles and aunts that were just friends of my parents. And so even though my parents were young, my mom was 17, my dad was 20. I was like the child for the pack. And so everybody kind of had a hand in raising me and everybody would, you know, I got the attention of all the people in those years. So I don't know, for me, I can't pinpoint and go, okay, there was this thing Um, As far as like energy work and like my introduction that I can remember into like the woo world, so to speak, I was, I think, 13 or 14 before I can actually place like a specific this thing happened. And that was was 13 or 14 when when you um, sort of dropped out of high school and um, you met the, the person that you you met there. No, so that was so I think I was God, how old was I 15? So were you in grade 11? I think uh, 11 or 12? No clue. 
No clue. I was, when I dropped out of high school, I was like that. I was a nerd when I was a kid and a nerd in the traditional, like, I was so focused on school. I was like the straight A student. I was in all the groups and all the, like I did track and I did volleyball and I did like, I was the teacher's pet, right? Like I was the know-it-all of all the things school. No, you weren't the know-it-all I was. But I was like, I was the nice know-it-all, like not the nerdy know-it-all that rubs it in your face that they know it all. But like, I was friends with all the people and I was friends with all the teachers and I was, you know, on all the teams and did all the sports and (laughs) everything that I could be a part of. Like I was in like a dirty shirt and until grade 12 and grade 12 is, you know, was kind of the thing for me. I was two credits shy of my grade 12 diploma when I dropped out of high school. And what was the reason you dropped out? Uh, my relationship. So I had met a guy at that time mm-hmm. was 14 years older than I was. Mm-hmm. And I was like stunned. I think that this human being being 14 years older than I was, what like was paying attention to me and watching what I did and watching who I was and like thought I was pretty and thought I was great. Wait, wait, wait. This guy was 14 years older? 14 years older than I was. Yes. Okay. And so when I was 15, like- Aren't there uh, laws around that shit? (laughs) There is. There is definitely laws around that. What are you, Quakers? (laughs) I know. And so I was like- you know, I was, I thought this was the greatest thing, you know, back in the beginning, I was like, Oh, my God, this is great. Like, you know, he drives and he wants to drive me to school. And he, and then it became this, you know, um, sneaky kind of and I think abuse typically follows this same pattern of like, it's tricky in the beginning. Because it was like, you know, oh, you're too good for me. And you're too pretty for me. And you're gonna find guys your age. And you know, I, he would drive by my school. And if I was standing outside during smoke breaks with friends, then, you know, I'd get in trouble. So then I stopped standing outside and then he would be like, well, why didn't I see you outside? Were you really at school? And so it just became like slowly and it wasn't like, I didn't really notice it was happening per se. Like I just thought, you know, I was being a good girlfriend and I was just not doing the things that upset my boyfriend. Right. Now, where was, where was your family in all this? Um, my family was kind of there, but not there. So it wasn't something that we actually talked about. And, you know, in hindsight, it's because it was illegal. Like you, you can't date somebody. I was going to say, you're younger. Like, like, it wasn't something you talked about in your, in your tight ass family than the, that you were dating someone 14 years yeah, older than no, you. No, I was driving know, by school. He would pick me up. Like I would leave for school in the morning and he would pick me up around the corner and he would drive me to school. And I, I wasn't allowed to tell my parents and I wasn't allowed. And so, he would do it from the perspective of like, we can't be together if you do this. And like, I really love you and I want to be with you. So for now, we just have to just keep it quiet. And so, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, it makes sense to me. That's fine. I was book smart. I wasn't really street smart at this point. (laughs) Like I was, you know, so I thought it sounded okay. Like, okay, that sounds reasonable. You know, you're 14 years older than I am. My parents are probably not going to like this. Yeah. And, um, and they didn't, right? Like when my parents found out, like, I think, you know, my dad went insane. My mom cried a lot. And my family was like, what are you doing? Like that you, this, you cannot do this. This cannot happen. So but I was independent. I went, yeah, okay, whatever. So this wasn't something in which 
<laughs> he tried to sneak into the family and be a part of the uh, be a part of the family. Was it? So kind of. He came around my family, and he was. And by the know, way, that's like the, kind of the same age as your mom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this okay. guy was introduced to me because when I like before I was born, or when I was like you know sperm or whatever, like he knew my family and knew my parents, friends and stuff like he knew of people. And so when he started coming back around, it was more about like, yes, him and I were like, he would drive me to school and he was driving by my school and all of these crazy behaviors. But from my family's perspective, he was just this guy that they knew when they were younger, that all of a sudden just showed up. And he was like, you know, and like I said, my family was that typical family where like that door family. was open. So anybody so made could it come really in. E- it made it really easy for someone like that to- A hundred percent. And I remember there was a time actually um, where I was sitting at my dining room table and I was talking to a friend of mine because like I said, I was always a social person. So I had, you know, guy friends and girlfriends. And to me, they were all just friends. There was no distinction between like you're a boy and you're a girl. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend of mine who was a boy on the phone and he kept this guy that I was kind of seeing or whatever was saying to my parents, like, you're going to allow this. You're going to allow her to talk to boys. Like what's you, she can't be talking to boys. Like what's wrong with this. And I remember at the time it became this episode where he actually picked up my dad and slammed my dad on the floor. And it was like, it happened so fast that like I was kind of standing there and I was completely stunned about like this whole thing. And later on, my mom had, you know, kicked him out of the house and said, you know, don't, don't come back here. And, you know, later on that night, he came back and apologized to my parents and said, you know, like, I'm really sorry. And I got out of hand. And I was just having a bad day or like, you know, whatever, at the time that he said, but then he came to me and said to me, do you see what will happen? You ever defy me again? And this is what's going to happen to your family. So I remember that moment in my life where I was like, holy shit. I'm, I'm stuck. Like now I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to stop this. I don't know how to turn this around. I don't like, I truly didn't, I was lost because I was like, now I know what I don't want. And this isn't what I want. And yet I was horrified that he would do something to my family. And so I stayed for, I think it was like two and a half years after that, because I was absolutely horrified that if I didn't, my family was going to pay the price. Now, was it a, a typical pattern of where it's like, oh my God, he's so great. I think he's going to turn it around this time. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Or was I, it just a monster for, no, sorry. I would say, no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. You <laughs> slammed your pops, yeah, yeah. man. No, like there were these moments of like, I don't want to do this, but you know, and it was always, it's funny because when I look back and, you know, when I'm talking to people about like, you know, the typical path patterns per se of like abuse, right? I wasn't abused because I didn't clean the house or didn't do the dishes or didn't like all of these things that 
typical relationships follow this, like I didn't do this. So I set him off. My reasons of, of him attacking me were more of like, I was too pretty and I was too social and I talked to too many people and like, I was too nice to people and you know, all of these things. So at the time I just thought, okay, well, like, yes, I'm still contributing to this behavior, but there were moments where I thought if I just show him that I am loyal and that I can love him and I'm not going to leave him and I'm not going to, you know, abandon him and do all these things, then maybe he'll ease up on me. Maybe he'll, you know, he'll see it and he'll, I can show him that I'm, I'm in this, right? Like, Did he? No, of course not. Cause he was okay. you know, the typical crazy person, but. Right. Now, so, now were no. there times, were there times where I don't even know where to go with this. This is not, <laughs> this is not on the, not, not on, on the, the list. This is not on the, uh, the show notes, dude. <laughs> but, um, I mean, was there, was there ever a time where you tried to acquiesce to that and become less social and, become Um, less pretty i I, I don't know oh for sure for sure and i would say that probably carried straight into my like yesterday (laughs) you know for yesterday to my yesterday um i thought the white sweatshirt was nice (laughs) (laughs) like for years and years i would always wear like you know baggy shirts or i would put my hair up like Although I would say I'm, I'm not conceited in the sense that I'm like, oh my God, I'm so beautiful. And, you know, life stops when mm-hmm. I go outside. But I'm also not the person that needs to put a lot of effort into my look when I go outside. Like right. 90% of what you see is how I wake up in the morning. So I might put right. some makeup on and brush my hair, right? right. But Or not during our last session there. Um, but like... <laughs> That's bad. You know, but like, I really don't put a lot of effort into what I do in my day. And so it was very easy for me to just not put makeup on at all, put my hair up in a ponytail, put a baggy sweatshirt on or, you know, a baggy pair of pants. I would say it wasn't until I was probably in my late 20s that I would wear yoga pants or like, you know, Lululemon pants or whatever, where I would actually thought that that was appropriate because up until that point I was like, Oh my God, but you can like see the shape of your body. You can't do that. That's like covering curves and stuff like that. And so I really thought like if I dumb it down and then there was, you know, a big portion of, you know, my life where I was offended when people looked at me because it really validated his thought of like, look how pretty you are. Look, all these people are staring at you. All of these people look at you. All of these people think you're pretty. And so if I was walking somewhere and, you know, a guy would look at me or somebody would, a woman would say, oh my God, like, you know, I love your hair or you're really pretty. It actually would, I would get offended. And I think just because from the perspective of like, you're validating him and I'm trying really hard not to be that person. And no matter how hard I try, I'm failing. Right. At what point were you like, it's fucking time to get out? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I think the moment he body slammed my dad, I think I, I was there. But like, 
there were moments where I thought I can make it better. And if I just change my behavior, then he'll change his. And then like, it will be great. And I mean, he has a whole backstory, you know, now as an adult, as we know, like everybody, right? Like hurt people, hurt people, right? So like he had a backstory as well. And so I just thought like, if I can just show him that I'm not his backstory, then maybe this will be different. Maybe life will be different. And then I realized he was an addict and he had his, you know, either other than mental health issues, he had addiction problems. And so, you know, like this that he was, hid behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so like I had, I, when I was, like I said, I was school smart, but not street smart. So when I was, you know, up until I probably till I was 18, I really truly didn't believe drugs were real. I thought they were in the movies. I didn't think cocaine was real. I didn't think crack was real. Like heroin didn't exist. Like these things weren't real. You know, <laughs> have like, you been around Hamilton? I know. <laughs> and, like, which would show you like how much of the city I really didn't see, clearly. <laughs> Um, but I really, truly didn't think they were real until one day they were real and they were in my home. And I was like, what is happening? And wow. so that was kind of my like, oh, shit, this is bigger than me. This is like, I'm not a challenge for this. There's no, I can't fix this. Right. Hey, it's Mark. I hope you're digging the Golden Mike podcast. If you have or are just starting your own revolution fueled by joy, there's a site I created for you. If you, like me, believe that personal growth is simply not enough, if you, like me, are committed to changing history for the better in both micro and macro ways, check out joyrevolution.com. In there, you'll find an archive of our over 200 Golden Mike Live Facebook shows and, of course, our podcast that you're currently listening to. Check out the blogs highlighting how positive psychology and joy theory apply to your everyday life. There's even some cool clips from our Joy Revolution course geared towards influencers, speakers, writers, and change agents. It's all there. Go to joyrevolution.com. That's joyrevolution.com. Let's get back to the episode. So this was even more than like, this was more than pot. Oh, yeah. Uh, a little pot smoking here and there. This yeah. Was this was like. Hardcore was, stuff. Yeah. He was into hardcore stuff. Okay. And um, and so then I remember I worked actually at the center mall when it was a mall in Hamilton and not a plaza. Mm-hmm. And I remember the girl I worked with and her husband was a police officer. And I remember saying to her, he won't let me go. Like I want to go, but he won't let me. And so I went and stayed at her house for a couple of weeks. And, you know, obviously he would only come to work then because he wouldn't show up at at this girl's house because her husband was a cop. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. you don't do that. And, um, and he just made like it very miserable for me for, I would say probably a year. Right. Like I would be at work and he would, you know, call me and go, you're talking to this person for X amount of minutes and you're wearing this skirt and that's too short. And you, you know, you're doing this thing and you're whatever, whatever. And I, you know, had the security guards remove him from the property a number of times. And it was this big battle. And I finally just went, okay, I need, I need to figure something out. I have to get it. Like this is life or death. And I do remember a moment 
um, where I stood in the kitchen with him and his, so his mom, when he was younger, committed suicide and he found his mom. Right. Mm -hmm. And so suicide was a, a thing even then that again, I didn't realize was a real thing because I didn't have a lot of exposure to that world. Yeah. Um, but I remember standing in the kitchen and saying to him, it's you or me. And if you will not let me go, I'm going to kill myself because I cannot live like this anymore. And, uh, so he kind of looked at me and he went, okay, you're, you're serious. Okay, just go and, and, you know, I'll talk to you tomorrow and we'll make this work and we'll figure it out. And so that was my beginning of my planning to like, how can I get out of this to a way where I feel like I don't have to come back to, you know, where I, I don't feel like my family is going to pay for my decisions and my actions and, you know, what have you. And I went to my family and I went to different family members and said, listen, like, here's what I feel. Here's, you know, I feel like he's going to kill me and I feel like he's going to kill my family and I feel like he's going to, you know, torture people to get to me. How can I get out of this? And of course, from, you know, and now looking back an 18 year old's perspective of like, my whole world is going to end. And what is very real for me as an 18 year old child, my family was like, okay, this is ridiculous, right? Like my aunts and uncles were in their late thirties or early thirties. And they were like, you know, this is crazy. This is crazy talk. This is not real. He's not really going to do these things. Like, just don't do that. Just like cocaine is not real. Right. <laughs> like, Right. Just, just leave. And so, I mean, I did, I, I met my kid's dad and, you know, I started a relationship with my kid's dad because I felt like he could protect me better than just me being single. And so I thought if I get into this relationship and anything happens, like there's somebody who can beat up the person who's going to beat me up. Sure. Sure. No, I just got to ask, how old yeah. is this guy? <laughs> this kid's how dad. Like my kid's yeah. dad? Oh, he's like, yeah. oh God, how old am I? I'm 41 now. He's 43 or 44 this year. Okay, so he was curious. my age. Yeah, like, just curious. Yeah, uh, he was my age. Okay. And um, okay. and I remember even, you know, I got pregnant with Zachary, which is my oldest. And um, my kid's dad and I lived in an apartment building. And Zachary was probably, God, I think actually I had both my boys. So Zachary was probably two. Cody was one or yeah, okay. probably somewhere around there. And I remember actually the police swarming our vehicle and pulling my kid's dad out of the vehicle. And, um, you know, because the, the abusive guy had, he had gone to prison for four years for the stuff that he had done to me in our relationship. It ended, that's how it ended is I actually went and put him in jail. And so he went to prison for four years and when he got out on parole, he actually jumped parole. And so when he jumped parole, they swarmed my vehicle and my house. And, you know, I had to go and stay in a woman's shelter for a little while with my oh kids. My and like, it was a big, like, it was a big ordeal, you know, looking back at it, it was like, it was the craziest thing I think I probably have been through to date other than my stuff with my youngest guy yeah but like and going through the joy revolution of right course. <laughs> <laughs> of course but like back then i was like you know he had stood in the um in the courtroom and i had you know police officers and you know different social workers and lawyers and stuff surrounding me and he stood in the courtroom and said to the judge give me whatever sentence you're going to give me because when i get out i am going to kill her so i'll take it but just know that whenever i'm out whatever that takes 
I'm going to kill her. And okay. I remember being like, I'm sure that her, horrified. I'm sure that helped with his plea. Oh, well, they, it didn't because they still accepted <laughs> a plea from him. And like afterwards, they said to me, you know, we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have accepted what we did. And oh my hindsight God. being 2020, right? What's like, going on yeah. in Canada? I know. Afterwards, they said to me, like, four years was definitely not enough. And at the time that they went in and got him, like, I mean, the SWAT team was involved, and they blocked off and barricaded the house. And like, you know, they went in, um, you know, guns blazing, right, basically to get Mm -hmm. him out of this house. And so for them to even say to me at the time, like, we still didn't give him enough time in jail. Like he did not get a fair sentence for all the stuff that he has done to you. It should have been more, I think was the only validation I needed. I needed somebody able to, to be able to okay. hear that. Like it isn't me that okay. I wasn't the bad person here. I didn't, I did everything that I could have done that I should have done. And like, you know, that for me was validation that he was the bad guy and not me. So obviously we can be going back and forth about judging this guy, mm. um, you know, uh, you know, uh, glorifying certain things and then right, right. other things. But I, I, I think um, just to look at the opportunity out of all of this and in your timeline, like what do you see as being the biggest gift that came out of all this sh- shit show? Uh, it's interesting because I truly believe in, in, with all seriousness, had I not have gone through that relationship, I would not have been prepared to deal with my son. I would not have known anything about drugs and suicide and mental health issues and like the strength because the strength that it takes to come out of an abusive relationship, whether it is like an emotionally abusive or mentally abusive or like a full on physical beat down, the strength that it takes for a human being to come out of that. Cause I don't think it's, you know, just a woman or just a man. I think, you know, both sexes can be in massively abusive and traumatic relationships. Sure. The amount of strength it takes to come out of that, the amount of determination and the amount of, um, uh, resilience, I think that mm-hmm. it takes really, truly set me up for being able to deal with my son and his issues when he was going through his mental health struggles. Okay. Because I remember, you know, saying to my son, I had a man like this guy who was 14 years older than me. You know, if you picture, I at the time was this 16 year old, 90 pound, you know, little girl, like this little Barbie doll, blonde hair, blue eyes, like Mm -hmm. tiny little person. He was a roofer. He was 260 pounds and in the best shape of his life. Mm -hmm. And so I remember saying to my son, I have already been where a man 260 pounds beat the shit out of me. There is nothing you can do to me that I'm not going to walk away from. So I'm in this for the long haul, like, like it or not, we're going to get through this together. And no matter how hard you push and no matter how hard you try, everything you're going to try has already been done to me on some level. So get over yourself. Wow. Wow. Don't speak to me like that in the yeah. revolution. <laughs> That's scary. I peepeed myself a little bit. Um, now, now the, the son that we're talking about, is it all right if, if, if we Name say him? which one? Yeah. Cody. Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. It, it was Cody. And, and at what point did, did, you realize that maybe, whoa, Cody is not going in the direction that I, as a mother, thought that he would be going in. Oh, he's in a different part of yeah. Hamilton again. Um, 
which I've seen before. You yeah. know, and <laughs> there's there are some signs here. Like at what point was that? So that, I think there that were becoming clear little little kind of moments along the way. So if you know, if I talk about comparing my children, which I you know obviously I don't like to do. Um, but Cody was very social when he was a child. Like he was the kid that I dropped off at school and he was like, ciao mom, see you later. And off he went. And Zachary was like the death grip. And, you know, like I remember even there was one day I dropped him off at school and like 10 minutes later, the teacher called me back and went, he came in one door, ran through the school and out the other. And he's like running down the street. You've got to come get him, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, that was Zachary. And so Zachary had a hard time. Like, you know, there were times where I'd have to go in his class and I'd sit in his class and, you know, take the attendance down to the office and then not come back. And he would stay for the day. And like, you know, it was difficult transitioning Zachary into school. Cody didn't have that problem. Like Cody loved being at school. Cody loved being around people. Cody had like the best little friends in the whole wide world. And Cody was invited to all the birthday parties with, you know, he was like this little mini popular person. Right. And so, there were times where like I would get a call going, something's not right with him today. Like he was acting out in class and it's against Cody's traditional behavior. And so at the time throwing shit around or or being well, just like like being defiant and like would tell the teachers no, or would be like super loud in class and like, you know, like stuff like that. Right. And at the time, Cody's dad and I were going through a really messy court, you know, stuff. And so I kind of just chalked it up to that. And I just thought, you know, okay, you know, obviously he's feeling it. And, you know, this again, this is like my problem. And I did this. And, you know, his dad and I really need to get our shit together. And we need to like, you know, knock it all off. And it just, you know, over time would get a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And, you know, then it was like, okay, is there, you know, a social worker or something in the school that can talk to him? Is there, you know, maybe I can take him to the doctor and talk to him because it's like, it's a me problem that my son is picking up on. Right. Now, now what, what, what stage of life was this in for Cody? So he was eight to 10, I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh and you were if i if i had this right yeah you were you were taking it on yourself yeah yeah it, it, it's this is this is Corey's energy that my my son is picking up on it's not him it's me right yeah gotcha yeah and so it was you know how can i get my son the help that he needs um while i'm trying to get my shit together Right. Like, and so it was difficult because I mean, to this day, right. If you ask my kid's dad, like I was the asshole. If you ask me, he's the asshole. Like we still don't agree and we get along great now. Like we talk now and we can sit on the same acreage of land and laugh and communicate and have, (laughs) right. Like we can have a normal human conversation today, but it took us a long time to get there. And yet we still- (laughs) Because you needed to come to the conclusion that you both were assholes. Right. Absolutely. Right. Like, and so I think it probably took me till Cody was around, I would say 12 before I went, okay, this is a little bit more than that. And I, so I had already moved to St. Catharines because I thought, you know, my kids were getting into trouble in Hamilton. And so if I, you know, take them out of Hamilton and move them to another city, he's got a 50, 50 shot of making it. And maybe the 50, 50 will be enough for him to make the right decision. Right. Wow. That's a motherfucking coin flip. 
that had to be a lot of stress on you. Huge. And so, you know, going back to your original question of like, how long did it take me to really feel like St. Catharines was home? Probably two years. Because the first year that I was here, I was like, I really resented the fact that I had to give up my home. Like my everything was in Hamilton. And so I had to move away from my friends and my family and everything that I knew and outside of my comfort zone to come here just to give my kids a better chance, just to give my kids a better life. And of course, they didn't want it. So they were like rebelling to all hell. And I remember calling their dad And, you know, at the time, their dad and I could not communicate even, you know, over a cup of sugar for, you know, to save the world. On an acre of land. On any, on 12 acres of land, (laughs) never mind one, like we could not get it together. And I remember him handing off, as soon as he heard my voice, he handed off the phone to his wife. And up to that point, I had been very adamant in like, I didn't have children with you. I'm not going to communicate with you. Like he can, you know, be a big boy, put his big boy pants on and communicate with me for the sake of our children. And so when he handed her the phone, I remember saying to her, I don't care which one of you I get. This is beyond that. I just need you guys to be on the same page as me for the sake of my son. Yeah. And she was great. Let's, what can we do? Like, how can we? And so to this day, her and I are very close and, you know, we, we get along fantastic and we have a friendship outside of like my children, but that was the turning point was like, I was so desperate, I guess, for like, I don't care who I have to talk to. I don't care if it's your mother, your son, your brother, your aunt, your uncle, your wife. Like, I don't care. My right. son needs help because this is outside of you and I now. And we it was to total surrender. Out. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Completely. So, so uh, we're we're talking to your 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 baby daddy wife now. Mm-hmm. Um, the sugar is 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 being passed, and <laughs> in, in some metaphorical standpoint. Yeah. Um. Now still 12 years old. My God, he's so yeah. young. Yeah. Right. Um, wh- what was this looking like now in terms of, uh, you know, the story arc of this, was this chaos. something Utter- <laughs> <chaos>. <laughs> okay. Cause I, I, cause I thought this would be the beginning of, I thought this would be the beginning of, okay, I've got some champions on my nope. side. Okay. Oh no, we're still like four and a half years from that. Like, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like it was utter chaos, right? Like I would leave for work in the morning and he would not go to the bus stop. And then the teachers would come to the house and bribe him with bagels. Like my child, at that point, my child was very food oriented, right? So it was like, if you come to school, I will buy you a bagel and a chocolate milk. And Cody would go, okay. Or he would go, Nope, not doing that today. Oh, depending that, on the mood he was like in. Me right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how they get me to do these golden mics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's the cookies. <laughs> Good God. And like okay. even, you know, my kids were in baseball, right? And so yeah. I remember showing up at baseball and some of the other parents would be like, Cody, if you hit a home run or you hit a grand slam and I'll bring you French fries. And he'd be like, okay. Cause he was like a killer baseball player. Right. But he was totally motivated by food. You offer that kid some to this day, you oh offer him God, food and he, he will mow your lawn. If you give him banana bread, like that's amazing. Know. It's like, it's, it's like the mental health goes yeah. away when you turn him into Homer Simpson. <laughs> 
And so he would go to school or not. He would run away, take the go bus back to Hamilton and he would, you know, like, and so it was chaos for a number of years. And there were moments within those years where like I could wrangle him back in and say, okay, you know, I call him boo. And I'd be like, okay, boo, listen, it's me and you against Mm -hmm. the world, buddy. Like, we're going to do this. You tell me, what do you need? And I'm all over it. I will move heaven, earth, hell, the stars, the moon. I don't care. I will move it all to get you what you want. What is it that you want? What do you need right now? And of course, you know, anybody who struggles with mental health issues knows they don't know what they need. Of course. Like they can't see two inches in front of their face, never mind anything outside of that. And so- now, had a diagnosis been made at this point? Not at this point. So we we struggled a little bit with getting him into doctor's appointments because, you know, during their dad and I and our, you know, intensive eight-year court battle, um, mm-hmm. my kids were very conditioned to, like, their dad's home is their dad's home and they're not allowed to tell me about things that happen in their dad's home. Mm-hmm. And so... If they did, if they would say, oh, when we were at dad's house, we did this or we found this or we, you know, dad yelled at us or dad made us do chores or, you know, whatever, then there was a consequence to that. And, you know, they would get in trouble and, you know, what trouble they got into, like, who knows, they're children. So maybe they exaggerated, maybe they didn't, but like there was always to them, there was a consequence. And so my kids learned at a very early age, like, don't tell your secrets to anybody. And so they'll now Mm. take a child with mental health issues and say, hey, by the way, you should tell all your secrets to this psychiatrist and they're going to help you. My kid went, fuck no, not telling anybody anything. A a person in a tie or a dress holding a clipboard, very intimidating to an adult, much much less a a, a teenager, right? Um, What was... was um, Cody and Zach's relationship like as they were growing up? Cause it, it, it's like, what did, did Cody like when, 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 when Zach would, uh, sorry, when, when Cody would go into something, would Zach do what he did in, in, in kindergarten and just go out one door and run out the other, you know, or, or was, was he a very supportive brother, a very understanding brother? So I think a little some- bit of both, right? Like Zachary yeah. is very, headstrong, very independent, very like, you know, dig his heels in the grass and like not go anywhere, you know, type of person. Mm -hmm. And so he would see all this stuff happening with Cody. And he was very much like, Mom, what are you doing? Like why he can throw this fit and like smash a skateboard through the wall. And you're just going to stand there and look at him. Like, why don't you like, why don't you do something to this child? Why don't you like get control of your child? And I mean, Zachary was very vocal. He was talking at 10 months old, right? So like he was a very vocal child. And so at the age of, he was 10 when Cody was eight, he was very much like, you know, if this was me, you'd be like kicking my ass right now. You would be like not letting me do this. Why can he get away with it? And I can't. And so he was very much like, I love my brother. And they were very close as like two humans could possibly be like they grew up and, you know, they almost grew up in their only 16 months apart. So they almost grew up as twins, right? Yeah. Where it was like them against me to this day, right? My kids were in French, French immersion to this day. If they want to tell each other a secret, they speak French. They don't speak English um, and they don't realize yeah, like there are other people in the world who can speak French too. Like and I can Canada. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> I can understand it. 
And I, so some stuff I can understand what they're saying. I just can't speak it back to them. Right. So, yeah. um, but like, if they want to keep something from me, they'll talk to each other in French. Like they have this secret language, right. They don't yeah. realize it's not so secret. Like French is like, you know, the other language of Canada, like there's just <laughs> English and there's French or not. It's not this made up language between my children. And well, so, you know, there's something. There's something interesting, and in, and it's an observation with a bent of uh, judgment on it. So so I I wholly own whatever <laughs> invisible like um, perspective that I'm putting on this right mm-hmm. now. But like I'm seeing a whole lot of resentment going on. <laughs> oh, for um, sure. Or, like around, Zachary would love yeah. his brother, right? Yeah. Like completely, totally loved his brother, and yet went what the hell this little body is like demon possessed and he's getting away with things that I would never do. And, you know, like, so there was a little bit of this struggle, I think within Zachary of like, I love you, but I hate you. Sure. And and how much, how much of this, like when he's like, I, I, you could get, you know, if this were me, you know, that would be my head through the, Mm -hmm. the, the wall, not the skateboard, right? Yeah. Um, how much of this was was him trying to communicate as best as he could, like, Mom, I'm seeing a fixer energy in you right now that's not gonna work with a mental health. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And and again, that's my perspective, but uh in, in many ways, like, did you did you feel like at the time or in retrospect that it you were sort of at the mercy of of, of fixer energy? Oh, completely. Mm-hmm. At the at that time, I think I just thought like this isn't going to work. Like I could talk logic to Zachary, right? Like I could yeah. say to him, "Listen, if you do A, then B will happen, and you'll get C. <laughs> Don't do that." And he'd go, "Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I'm not doing it." And I could do this to him from an early like two, and he would yeah. get it. I'd say like, "If you, you know, if you throw the cushions over the back of the couch and you jump off the cushions like you're Superman, you will break your ankle." And he'd go, "Oh, right. okay. Uh, well, I'm not going to do that then." Whereas Cody would go, "Oh, that sounds fun. Let's try that, right? Let's like, do it." And so, yeah. you know, in hindsight, I could see how for Cody, like, you know, consequence didn't seem to be, he didn't, there was a break in like, if I do, then I get, and he didn't really have a way to put those things together. Sure. And yeah. so I just thought the things that are traditional that will work with Zachary, yes, Zachary, you're right. If this was you, I would be able to just say, hey, Zachary, don't do that. You're being crazy. And you would stop, but I, that's not working. And so I kind of felt like, at a loss of, I don't know what to do. And I'm just going to wing it from moment to moment and day by day of like, what's going to work today may not work tomorrow. And, you know, nothing's working right now. (laughs) Right. And and how much of this, right? uh, Like when this was going down was, um, how much of this was, uh, was, or this is, that's not a question. How supportive <laughs> how supportive was your family around all of this right now? Because this is their grandkid. This is their uh a nephew, you know, this is you know, this is your their daughter, you know, um yeah, going through was, this right now. I think my family was very much like Zachary, right? In that like, right. Corey, you gotta do something, you gotta put your foot down, like you stop being so wishy-washy, stop being so like, you know, lenient and you gotta do this and you gotta do that. But very much like, oh my God, this, you know, there's this human who's having these struggles and like what can we do and how can we help him? And, you know, 
um, especially my siblings, right? Like my siblings and I, I think if you put us all in one room, we merge into one person. Like there is no separation between me and my two brothers and my sister. Like we're all one. When one hurts, right. all four hurts. When we laugh, all four laugh. And so being that I was in this like internal turmoil and chaos of like, how can I help my child? My family really felt it. But being on the outside of it also went, you got to do something. Like, you got to get it together. You got to, like, what you're doing isn't working. And so there was this back and forth, you know, also, um, you know, very much like Zachary was thinking of, like, this I love you, but like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing? What is happening right now? How is right. this chaos? Hope you enjoyed the Golden Mike podcast. There's more good stuff coming your way. But until the next episode, let's stay in touch, yes? Find us on Instagram as The Joy Rev, The Joy Rev, or communicate with like minded revolutionaries in our Facebook group. Search The Joy Revolution Underground. And of course, don't forget to check out the classes, articles, blogs, and some serious fun at joyrevolution.com. That's joyrevolution.com. Now, until then, what will you do to change history for the better? Let's go out and play, shall we? Press start to begin. Yeah. <laughs>